Hello and welcome to another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? All right. Uh, trying to combat this seesaw in the weather, you know, where it goes from like 40 to 70 to 40. <laughs> yeah, we had a uh, one day, one day pleasant um, Mother Nature string there. And now it's back to back to normal, I guess. But we're getting into April now, so... We should have more and more of those, you know, 60, 70 degree days. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. And with IndyCar, it affected IndyCar this week. They're testing the IMS road course, the Honda and Chevy 2024 engines. And, uh, well, it was a little too cold, but they apparently did some install laps on Monday and Tuesday. Full day of testing on Wednesday. Here we are on Thursday, an off day, and then several teams set to test separately. Just a normal scheduled test for handful of IndyCar teams coming up Friday, but we have the first taste of this new engine, and so far, everything looks good. In fact, so good that Jay Fry said it felt like we could race those engines tomorrow. Easy there, Spartacus. No, I I feel like it was a great first step, but this is still two years away. So 800 horsepower, 2.4 liter twin turbo V6. Remember, they're 2.2 liters now. What about 700, 650 Around horsepower? Around there, yeah. Did you notice a, a difference in the sound when you watched? Um, or did you just want to feel like you heard it? I mean, you want to feel like you heard a difference. It, I mean, I guess there's a little different sound, but you got to remember without the hybrid technology tacked on, which is why they pushed this back a year to 2024 because of supply chain issues. The hybrid units aren't even ready. Hopefully they'll be ready for a test somewhere this summer is what it sounds like on the timeline. But I I guess if you want to hear something different, it it sounds different, but I get, I mean, there's like a deeper growl, but at speed, I couldn't tell much of a difference. Yeah. I, I couldn't really either, but it's a good first test because number one, they didn't seem to have any issues with the engines. Honda and Chevy officials and, so far, and the drivers so in the quotes were all positive with everything that happened. And so the first box is checked with these new engines. And I think this is, this is a good step. Obviously, there's a lot more to go between now and then. And with, what, 18 months uh, build up to it, essentially, there's a lot they can do. And getting the hybrid units, whatever they're going to call those. Um, Once those are ready, that will change everything drastically even more. Well, and two, they're probably, I mean, they're starting at step one with these engines, probably dialed down significantly. So they really weren't pushing that much. I mean, it was the first time they've been on track at all. So um, they're going to ramp it up slowly and, and surely and and eventually get there but i feel like it's good that they're not feeling like they have to rush now trying to get these ready for 23 and instead focusing on 24 they did not release any lap counts um racer reporting shoving hana turned beyond 500 miles apiece during the test joseph newgarden will power and scott dixon all a part of it over the course of three days of running and again all things are positive another thing they got done uh, on Wednesday afternoon was uh, a look at the new kind of emergency light system, which is what they have in F1. And so they are able to debut that as well uh, as part of this. And so a, a good first step there as well. 
just all around a good week down in Indy, other than the fact that they had to battle chilly temps. But I mean, for for how it went, you know, it was it was a good first appearance on track for the new engines. Now you wonder the next test. One, where is it going to be? Two, will the hybrid units actually be ready this summer? Because I think that's the question. They they already had to move stuff around. And, you know, what impact will that have moving forward on the timeline? Because if anything gets delayed anymore, you wonder if they can hit this next goal. I mean, they already pushed it back a year, right? So it just makes the timeline that much more difficult. Now, they tested on the road course, right? The Formula yes. 1 course. So I would imagine the next test would either be with the Kurs system on a road course or maybe on, on at IMS on the oval would be the next step with without the Kurs. I would expect to see some place like Barber, you know, is you think before an, next, before an oval? Yeah. Okay. Now, if, if with the Kurs, I think they do gotcha. a road course, but if they don't have that, obviously oval testing would be kind of the next logical move on their part. I feel like they can now take things a little bit more passively and by the book with them pushing this out another year as opposed to really scrambling uh, to get everything together and tested and and all that. So it's a good first step, most definitely. I'm wondering, like, the the cars have not had to be reconfigured any, correct, in terms of the bodywork and the chassis? So... Uh, there's nothing like that. I don't know if that's same with with the Kerr system. It will it will fit in without any major modifications to the bodywork and chassis. Yeah, that's that is a question. Obviously, the car will be heavier when you add right. the Kerr's unit, and that will change things. But that is it's all buried in that uh, current supply chain problem. <laughs> It well, always goes back to the supply chain. Yeah, which, you know, I, I feel like will continue to be alleviated a little bit more. So hopefully they get back on track maybe in April at some point, uh, maybe one or two tests, and then they'll probably step aside for May and then really start hitting it come the summertime. And the other thing uh, we wanted to get to, I think, is kind of more of a great discussion topic. Talking about ovals, the future of ovals in IndyCar in particular. Oilpressure.com, George Phillips, longtime IndyCar blogger, had a great uh, column the other day on his site. Will another new oval ever be built? And he, he kind of goes through the history of IndyCar racing and the boom of oval track building from 1990 to 2001. Kind of runs through all the tracks that were built during that boom era. And it's it's crazy to think about. You have a lot of them. New Hampshire as one of those back in 1990. Then Homestead Miami uh, in 95. And then you, you get... A lot more tracks in 96, Walt Disney World Speedway, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Gateway, um, 97, you get um, Texas, I believe, opened in 97, and also Pikes Peak International Raceway, California Speedway, also known as Fontana, and then you kind of had a bit of a a bust. You had Kansas come on board as well. Um, Kentucky opened in 2000. Chicago Motor Speedway 99, that one was short-lived. Uh, races held through 2002, tracks sold in 2003, and was um, basically kaput within a few years after that. Michigan International Speedway, it, um, that was built earlier, so yeah. correction, but Fontana was the one that was basically a, a kind of a carbon copy of Michigan. 
I mentioned Kentucky in 2000, and then 2001 you had Kansas, Nashville, Super Speedway, Chicagoland Speedway, all open in 2001, and that was kind of it for the run of ovals. Um, we had some go away. Kentucky is pretty much done. Chicagoland Speedway, there's a for sale sign essentially on the property that someone posted the other other week, a, a picture of that on, on Twitter. So Chicagoland is as good as done, which we've known that right for some time. Right. Once Cup went away, that kind of did it for that date, and that was it. But you look at kind of that boom era and all the tracks, and majority of them were 1.5-mile tracks. Now, Nashville, different. Concrete track, not a 1.5-mile track. Obviously, Gateway, different. Fontana, different. But outside of that, all the rest... Well, in New Hampshire, I guess, early on in the boom. But all the rest would have been 1.5-mile ovals, right? Yeah, very much cookie-cutter tracks. I mean, maybe some 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 slight differences, but one-and-a-half-mile oval is a is a one-and-a-half-mile oval. And it, it's similar to, you know, housing booms and all that stuff. Like, it was the heyday of, of NASCAR, you know, early 2000s, right? It, it fed directly from the heyday that was cart and, and all that. So... You know, everybody wanted a piece of auto racing action, particularly with NASCAR and its its burgeoning base. And as it grew nationwide, you know, the Midwest wanted to get it on the party. So they're building tracks, they're building Chicagoland, they build Kentucky and try to tap into to the craze. And, you know, eventually the bubble burst. You know, we're seeing Cup kind of struggle. Even I would argue they are they still have too many ovals on the schedule. And I'm not going to sit here and say they'll never, nobody will ever build another oval ever. But in the next six, eight, ten years, it's tough to make an argument. They had that uh, what Canadian Motor Speedway up in Fort Erie, Ontario. Correct. That and was proposed, and 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 Rusty I think it's Wallace. Defunct now, wasn't Jeff Gordon part of it too? I thought I read Rusty Wallace, but yeah, I thought Jeff Gordon Gordon may have been a part of it, and. That was kind of the last proposed track that we've seen, and yeah. that's been several years since I th- that. I want to say like the land was purchased, and there was a design mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and then either the, the you know the money obviously dried up and the interest dried up. So I don't think they ever broke ground on the Canadian Motor Speedway. So uh, yeah, I, I feel like we're we're in a position. You know, quite frankly, at this point, Caleb, when will we see another? major racetrack built period in this country because you could say even road courses the only one in the last what 10 15 years is coda correct yeah i can't think of well they're they're club type tracks well i'm saying like major major tracks racetracks that you know can have major series coda would have been the last one and that was what a decade ago that that was completed yeah so i mean I, i know the ovals you know, are kind of the topic of of the the story, but I feel like you know, you know, there's always room for more. Obviously, in the United States, you know, just ask Formula One. Uh, but you know, when and where, you know, and it's very difficult to make a case on on when we could see another major track built in the United States, whether it be road uh, or oval. The last oval built. In the U.S. was Iowa Speedway that opened in 2007. Obviously, IndyCar has played a part at that track for most of the history since its opening. 
you look at some of these tracks and where they stand, you go back, New Hampshire still has, I think, one NASCAR date. They used to have two. IndyCar was there between CART, IRL, and then now IndyCar at different stages. Chicagoland's done. Um, Kentucky's done. You have... I mean, you have Kansas out Iowa. there. Kansas, Kansas has one cup has date, one I cup believe. Race. Nashville has the cup date that just returned, and that, that was a track that sat empty for what? Nearly like what 12 years yeah 13 years indycar last race there in was it 2008 or 9 i can't remember I don't know if it's 08 2008 or 9. it would 2008 have been. yes um yeah it's um you know you're you're seeing them slowly disappear you know milwaukee is it done you know fontana what's the future there um as well so even some of the pocono i really think like we, we don't hear a lot pocono but is it really sustainable for one major race week in a year on, on the NASCAR schedule? Going from two cup dates in an IndyCar race to one cup date. To one I mean, cup that's date. a drastic change. And and for better or for worse, it's owned by it's it's an independent track, right? So maybe at the very least we can see it being sold to uh SMI or somebody, but uh, that's one to keep an eye on. Um you see you look at ones that have kind of fallen off the the cup got you know like rockingham and stuff like that so yeah i think there's a a legitimate case to be made on on whether an oval will be built again i I think you know saying ever again is 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 really painting yourself in a corner but i could see you know none in the next eight to ten years definitely yeah I, i can't see it happening anytime soon and you go back and we we named off all those tracks walt disney's done Obviously, Kentucky, Chicagoland are done. Pikes Peak is done. Chicago Motor Speedway, that one was very short-lived. That's done. Um, You kind of wonder if Fontana, you mentioned Pocono. Um, Nashville Super Speedway kind of got a second life with NASCAR coming back for the short term. Now, if they are able to get that fairgrounds track set, then you would think Nashville Super Speedway probably goes away. Right. Um, one you didn't mention, Pikes Peak Raceway. Yeah, I mentioned that. Did you? Okay, yeah, that one's done as yeah, well. Yeah, it's definitely done. I don't even know if the if the fencing is still there. I don't. I haven't been by. Man, I think I was by there a couple of years ago, but I can't remember what it looked like. But um, yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. And you know, I don't think you can put one particular reason why, because we 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 mentioned this coming out of Texas is why are people going to ovals comparatively to. 10, 15 years ago. And this isn't just an IndyCar problem. It's a cup problem as well. And I don't know if there's one exact thing, but I I can tell you is as we've seen the urban renewal in downtown areas, and let's take Fort Wayne, Indiana, for example, where we, you and I are at Caleb and rewind 15 years ago and downtown Fort Wayne, unless you work down there, you never went downtown. In Fort Wayne, there was nothing to do. The major interstate didn't go anywhere close to Fort Wayne unless you were passing through and, you know, needed to go downtown for work or you had a convention or something down there to convention. You never went downtown. Now, it seems like every other month there's another major multi million dollar announcement uh, project that's going down in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And, you know, uh, multiple story buildings are going up and, and companies are moving their HQs down there and there's a minor league baseball field down there and there's a lot of stuff to do in the rivers. Electric works set Electric to open works later this coming fall. coming in, which is, you know, a huge, used to be a, a huge GE complex that they're turning into multi-purpose, multi-use uh, campus. I mean, 
And it feels like that's the direction of people because there's a lot of stuff to do. Okay. And you can take that and move it over to the uh, model for, for auto racing is people want to go places where there's a lot of things to do. If they're going to go to a race, they want to go to a place where there's other stuff to do. And, and unfortunately ovals, most of these had been built in the outskirts, in the boonies, away from major metropolitan areas. It's not a quick jaunt to go there. I think that's one big big advantage for Gateway is it's a literally a stone's throw from the river across from St. Louis. It's not in the middle of nowhere like Michigan is and Iowa is and Kentucky was. Pikes Peak. Pikes Peak. I mean, you can get to Gateway within... 10, 15 minutes of a major metropolitan area. You can stay at your hotel in St. Louis and get to Gateway, you know, within 10 minutes. Even Nashville Super Speedway is like roughly a 45-minute drive from downtown Nashville. Texas is not that close to... It's closer to Fort Worth than Dallas. Yeah. A lot closer. Yeah, And and it's still still on the outskirts. Yeah, it's still a haul. So I think that's one of these things too because um, there's not a lot of stuff to do. So I'm going to take... You know, minimum, let's say you're driving an hour, hour and a half each way to an oval for what? And, and there's not a lot to do. You're sitting there more often than not in the summer, you're going to be baking. So, um, it's, it's just, um, a, a combination of things, but I think we've seen an entire dynamic where people want to go places where there's a lot of options for mom and dad and kids and all this stuff. And you can go to a beer garden and then you can go to an art show and then you can do this and that, and that, that gravitates towards big events on street courses when we're talking auto racing. Uh, now you're seeing it in Formula One with Miami and now Vegas. And so I think that's the trend of where it's going. Now, in a generation, could we see things go back? Maybe there's, you know, the development with the cars, both in the stock cars and open wheel, where you can have even faster racing in a safer environment, maybe, and 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 ovals become this exhilarating experience again, potentially. But right now I think we're in a place where people, when they can decide where they're going to spend their money are going to go with the opportunities where there's more stuff to do than just sit in concrete and and aluminum bleachers all day, roast and watch a two and a half hour race. It's amazing that Homestead is hung on as long as it has, because it it is so far away from Miami and Fort Lauderdale and that whole area. And you know, Holding on is a relative term because it helps that it's owned by NASCAR. If well, they, it, they've had the the season finale for Cup several times right. in that span. They've had the IndyCar finale, not that it helped. Yeah. And they've been an IndyCar opener, a cart opener as well. So I don't know necessarily if it's been helped by its events or maybe who its owners are. Yeah, I, I'd say the latter is a <laughs> lot bigger factor than the former. And you, you you talked about different factors. So obviously this boom that George kind of referenced happened between 1990 and 2001. Yes, Iowa was built in 2007. That was kind of the last build of that era, but that kind of came a little bit later on, uh, kind of past the boom. And that was a smaller track in a smaller market, a different, different thing. And, and George references this. I think it's true. I think one thing that hurt oval tracks was that almost all the ones built during that big boom were just alike. 1.5 mile D-shaped or try ovals. And yeah, I, I think that's a huge factor is you have a lot of tracks that are similar. Obviously Fontana, an exception to that homestead was yes. 1.5 mile oval, but it was originally different. It became the same thing. Iowa, obviously different Nashville, different. Um, 
Chicago open and close so fast that I mean, yes, it was different, <laughs> but it, it didn't work right either way. Gateway, very different. I think that's what has helped is that independent ownership helps IndyCar because you don't have to deal with ISC, which is now just NASCAR. Right. And so you're more likely to get a date. But then you look at this era. So the 90s were a time of a lot of growth economically. Yeah. And then NASCAR had a huge boom in the late 90s through the early 2000s. Probably kind of tailed off about, what, 2005, roughly? Yeah. But it was still really strong going into 2008. And then we had the recession. And that hurt a lot of fans' ability to attend races, where at that point, you had to have season tickets at most of these tracks to get the you know the prime cup date race to attend so usually you're buying two or three major events with that hotel costs went up you know gas prices went up in that era obviously not right. not to the level they're at now <laughs> but gas prices were up people were out of work all of that factored in i i think to me that is the biggest factor is just simply the great recession happening you know within a decade at the end of this big boom of oval tracks and then you factor in like george mentioned lot of similar tracks so you don't have a lot of differentiation so you don't have a lot of unique type races what indycar has done a good job of yes they've gotten away from the 1.5 mile tracks with the exception of texas but they've added tracks that i think better suit their racing as a whole well yeah and you know more people want more ovals but you know i really i really compare those mile and a half cookie cutter tracks to really the cookie cutter stadiums that were built in the 70s and 80s when you yes. look at like Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati and Bush Stadium in in St. Louis and uh, what was it Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and you know at Fulton County Stadium in Atlanta uh, maybe County Stadium in Milwaukee they were all the same they were multi-purpose uh, there was no charm to Veterans them. Stadium in Veterans Philly. Stadium in Philly um, there was no charm to them there was nothing you know Shea Stadium even you could throw in a little bit. You know, there was nothing differentiating one from the other. And eventually those those uh, franchises in those cities realized that, you know, we need to build a, a a stadium that has our own unique feel and own unique charm. And and then you looked, it kind of started when um, in Cleveland, when Jacobs Field was built. And that was literally like the first modern stadium that, you know, with amenities and really unique sight lines and all that stuff. And everybody just kind of vaulted after that. And and I think that was that's similar to when you look at this this oval boom is you go to Texas and Kentucky and Kansas and and New Hampshire and Chicagoland and Vegas and they're all the same, right? Maybe different variables, but they're all basically the same track. Um, so that's kind of the difficult, you know, when you get 80,000 people going to Texas for races and 80,000 in Atlanta and 80,000 in Homestead and 80,000 in Chicago and 80,000 in, uh, in New Hampshire, then you can warrant building those things. But when those crowds go away, then you're kind of stuck with them. So uh, I see a lot of similarities between those and, and those cookie cutter multi-purpose stadiums of the seventies. And you're not the first person to kind of point out that similarity. I, I think someone else pointed that out on Twitter the other day, talking about oval tracks and how you kind of have that same kind of thing. And, you know, you, you look at ovals. I think we both agree. We're not going to see another new oval built within the next decade. Right. Right. I agree. I mean, we could see the refurbishment of a current oval. Like we're talking Fontana. Could we see that changed Milwaukee, Milwaukee, maybe a couple other current, um, you know, ovals that are going to try something dynamic to try to, to keep crowds. But in terms of a ground up build, I don't, I don't see it happening. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier about how 
a lot of these ovals were built so far on the outskirts. Milwaukee's the exception here. Yeah. They're in West Dallas, Wisconsin, a suburb of Milwaukee, very accessible. It's like in the city, like it's at the fairgrounds, so right. it's already a known location. You would think if there was one track that they could revive and get it back to be what it was, I'm not saying what it was in the sense of it'd be the race following the Indy 500, right. but being a successful race on the calendar again, you would think that would be the track that'd be easiest to do it if they have all the safety improvements and, and you know the facilities are updated enough to make it feasible as an option. Well, and I feel like if if Penske Entertainment would take that on as a mission, I definitely feel like they could pull it off. I have a lot more faith in them than an Andretti Promotions group, to be honest. Or, or even the previous IndyCar regime promoting Phoenix. Definitely. I, I think if they want it to happen, which it sounds... Very iffy at best at this point with Milwaukee in, in return. Uh, a good article, AutoWeek.com, Jerry Bonkowski had a conversation with Jay Fry, the IndyCar president, talking about oval tracks and kind of dovetailing on this topic about ovals and you know will we have new ovals, not necessarily on the new part, but on the schedule. And, and Fry, very adamant about how they want the schedule to be made up. And I think most fans agree with this strategy. Ovals are very, very important to us, and we have every expectation to keep the balance in the series to where it's almost a third, a third, and a third the best way that we can. So a third ovals, road courses, street courses. I mean, you look at the heyday of cart where they had 21 races, and I think they had seven, seven, seven. And seven. seven yeah. So that's kind of the, the ideal scenario that I think most fans have latched on to. I know a lot of fans would prefer half oval, half road and street courses. There are still some that prefer just ovals. There's still some that prefer just road and street courses. I think a balance and and the one third, one third, one third is probably the best combination of those features. Now, we mentioned last week that Marshall Pruitt chatted with Mark Miles on a new oval, you know, coming to the schedule next year, and that wasn't necessarily in the cards. However, <clears throat> they'd be open to the idea. Texas is the big question mark. If Texas returns, do they add an oval? I think we both agree. Probably no. No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, kind of reading between the lines from what I've seen, you know, Iowa, it sounds like it's going to be back. Um, Marshall Pruitt kind of insinuated that in his mailbag this week. It all kind of depends on how the crowd looks both days. If it's packed both days, they'll entertain two again next year. If it's half full both days, They'll probably drop it down to just one race. So I feel like, you know, why you know, we throw out Homestead and Richmond and, and all that stuff, but none of them seem imminent, really. Fry said, I think we're comfortable with where we're at right now, talking about the schedule being at 17 races. But if we were going to do any kind of expansion going forward, it would be something that was a spectacular opportunity from an event perspective. Then he goes and talk about Nashville. And then finishes that, that off later saying, we're not just trying to add events to add events. You know, it's a fascinating storyline because let's look at the added events for the major series um, around the world. And let's start with NASCAR. Their premier added event was what? Nashville, right? And you look at CODA. That's turned into something big. So all these added events, and of course, you know, the clash at the Coliseum. 
those are all added as marquee events, right? They're not just another event. They're not adding a second Nashville or a second New Hampshire race or, you know, a second Homestead or something. They're premier events. Formula One, same way. What have we seen? They're adding Jetta, which, you know, we can we can debate that whether or not, but A, it was a money grab, but also it's a pretty cool looking track. You could argue whether they should be there or not, or whether it's a pretty dangerous track with all the high-speed corners. But the fact that it's right on the shore, you know, we all saw that, you know, the, the Princess Cruise Line ship that was right on off the coast. That was cool. I mean, it was a cool environment at night. Uh, Formula One, they're adding an event in Miami. Marquee event, right? Now they've announced Vegas, which is the marquee of marquee events. In my opinion, it immediately vaults into the second biggest race on the Formula One calendar behind Monaco. Maybe people are going to moan and groan. I don't know about you, Kayla, but in terms of locale, in terms of hype, in terms of glitz and glamour, it's the second biggest race on the on the schedule, in my opinion. Yes. When you define it that way, absolutely. Yes. A lot of people are going to say, well, what about Monza or Silverstone? I think the people that appreciate the history of Formula One and history of European racing would put those, but in terms of casual fans... You're going to sell them on Monaco and Vegas, my opinion. Absolutely. But you look at it, these are all marquee events that Formula One is adding. They're not just adding races to add races. And I think that's where IndyCar is at right now, is what's their big ad? Nashville, street circuit, right? That's been a marquee event. Uh, And I think at this point, you want to solidify where you're at currently on the schedule, but any events you're adding really need to knock the socks off people. If... IndyCar does go back to Milwaukee. It just can't be a ho-hum. We're coming in there. It's going to be a one-day event, all that, pack it in time. Like, it's going to be an event. I mean, we're seeing it come together with Iowa. So I think you're seeing all three of those series really pinpoint in terms of adding events is they want to make them as big a deal as possible. Then you look at what Fry had to say about international races, just to throw this tidbit in. Won't be happening anytime soon. Uh, Fry says right now there's enough opportunity for us still in North America to get to where we need to be or where we need to go next. Really, the focus has been on North America. Now, reading between the lines, North America. He didn't say America. Right. Didn't say America. He said, he North, said America. North America. So that leaves the opportunity for expansion in Canada or adding a race in Mexico. Which I would love to see both. And I think there's expansion opportunities Quite frankly, in both of those countries right now, more so than USA right now in terms of imminent or when we're talking big events, adding another street course somewhere in Canada and adding something in Mexico would be two marquee events. Then Nathan Brown of the Indy Star talking about Texas in the future. And if this is it for Texas, then what could be the next thing? So SMI, which is Speedway Motorsports Incorporated, they own Texas Motor Speedway. What could be that next thing uh, for IndyCar if Texas goes away? Obviously, we've talked about it ad nauseum with Milwaukee, with Homestead, with Richmond in terms of adding an oval. Doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of true interest there. However, uh, officials from SMI saying that bringing IndyCar to run on Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval could be an option worth looking into. Um, Brown also says Indy star also wondered whether if Texas didn't seem like a logical option, it could turn to NASCAR's Coda weekend into a series double header. And they didn't necessarily deny the idea saying there's no good idea. That's off the table. No venue. We wouldn't consider and no combination of series, whatever it is. I feel like 
it's only going to be in play one of these doubleheader weekends if it helps all involved. I don't think NASCAR needs IndyCar at Coda, to be honest. That was a we just watched it. Great event, good crowd. Um, you can talk about whether overtime is fair or not, but the beating and banging we saw in the closing laps, that's what stock car is all about. You know, I know people say that that's not racing, but it is in stock car racing. That's, that's part of stock car racing. It's been since the inception and we saw a ton of it at Coda, particularly in those closing laps. The Roval, I guess, makes a little bit more sense because I don't know how big of a marquee that event is for NASCAR right now, but then again, it is in the backyard of, of, of Cup and NASCAR, so I don't know how keen they would be welcoming IndyCar in to share the weekend. And, you know, I think there's some something to be said that while we don't like that second road course race in, in at IMS, it does help the weekend and then the – and. It, all that money goes into the Penske coffers in a roundabout way. Eventually it comes back to IndyCar. So maybe helping that weekend as much as possible is the right play. And talking about other ovals, we mentioned earlier Nashville fairground speedway. Well, it's from Adam Stern, Tennessee governor, Bill Lee proposing $17 million in state funding for Nashville fairground speedway renovations to help lure back NASCAR, <laughs> which is perfectly fine because IndyCar still has the the jewel of Nashville, and that's the street course. True, and unless they uh, replace this Titan Stadium, which is very much in play, right. but it won't be for several years, uh, the Nashville race is safe. Yeah, the I, I think it's perfectly fine, and, and hopefully with year two, it's even a, a bigger success than it was a year ago. So we want to hear from you. Do you think there's going to be another new oval in the next, say, decade or ever? Not just for IndyCar, but built in general. We want to hear from you. You can interact with us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, like us to search for New Track Record. And you can also email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. Check out the website, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, subscribe to the email list so you never miss an episode. And you can find us on your favorite podcasting platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts. You can follow us for free on there. And if you do so, do us a favor, give us a five-star rating. If you could write a review, if you're really, really nice. You also follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, Justin, mailbag time. All right. What do we got? And we start, let's see here. We, We had a lot of good stuff this week from the listeners and some stuff that I think, uh, very creative, very funny. Very witty inventive. Even? Yes, witty as well. Uh, and this one questioning uh, your take on Marcus Erickson, Daguerre tweeting, Erickson has 11 top 10s in the past 12 races, and you keep saying he has to prove himself to keep a seat as sponsors or funding. I think you should look for a new storyline with a wink face emoji. Yeah, we kind of <laughs> went back and forth about this, and my my worry is, you know, we saw Felix Rosenquist win a race for uh, Chip Ganassi Racing and then ended up leaving. Now, you know, you talk about sponsorship and all that, but... All I know is if if some certain guys hit the free agent market that are expected or rumored, then it's a tough sell to say that uh, Erickson is secure, in my opinion. This from Hunter J. Smith 03. One thing to understand about IndyCar's 90,000 plus attendance was only way to buy a ticket to Texas at the time was a season ticket and that was in place for a long time yeah it was but 
I just don't know how much that's a factor. Like, did it help the crowd? Yeah, but how many people were buying those tickets and ended up not going or selling them? I mean, you could you could have that number and still have almost seven or eight times as many people that came to those races as opposed to what we saw at the last Texas race. So I don't think it's as big a factor as people are leading on. You posted this. I thought it was great. I respond below with your best IndyCar related meme to this pick. And it's the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock. (laughs) We're not going to get into that because there's been way too much discourse online about that this week but several good responses the funny mb says it's a spin and win for will smith <laughs> uh pad jays uh posted this a meme. was great this one was really good and it was d francesco is will smith and then chris rock sato kirkwood castro nevis ray hall that was really good very creative yeah, very good and then two from c clinkin and the first one is Every possible thing that could go wrong is Will Smith. And then Chris Rock as 2020 to 2022 Alex Rossi. And he posted another one. I thought that one was great. Uh, Scott Dixon and then slapping Chris Rock as 10-year-old DW12s. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent responses, everyone, yes. on, on those. Really, really good Good stuff. job, folks. So good job on the memes. Here's something I want to bring up. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of this the last couple of days about, you know, once again, we're entering another weekend without IndyCar. And we've kind of mentioned it, um, the dearth of of races early on in the season. But it's almost a tired storyline to me. I'm really not hurting that much that there's no IndyCar race this week. And, and, it's not ideal, but I, I don't think the whole momentum thing to me matters as much as people think, because when we have that in years past, when we've had that, uh, you know, May and June gauntlet, I'm not seeing exponential growth from the road course to qualifying to the 500 to Detroit to tech after that, you know, I never saw evidence of that. I think it was more people like to say that, no, you need to be in front of people people's minds and uh, you know hearts and minds and stuff i i just i don't see that i feel like it's not as much of a impact now as i felt like it was several years ago ideally you're on every other week from march to october but it's not reality i will say this we're not struggling to come up with content so at least there's stuff going on with the new engine test great conversation about oval track racing right future there's plenty of stuff all these to talk things about. i mean there are storylines now and you can't just have events to have events no like what do you want what do you want indycar to you know finance events just so there's not three week gaps in the schedule and they lose their butt financially also you have to remember if they're going to close the gaps in the schedule it's going to have to be a 20 race schedule right and then the teams don't Right now, really don't really want that. Not yet. There's Maybe. not enough monetary gain for the teams to go to 20 races as opposed to 17 races. Maybe at the end of the season, saying the TV ratings are up double-digit percentages, which they should be, let's right. be honest, being majority on NBC, say TV ratings are up like 25%. Now, I don't know if they're going to be up that much. That seems a little high. But say they're up that much. And then teams can sell that. Right. In a couple years, they'll be ready for it. Obviously, they have a lot of costs coming up with these new engines if they do anything with a new chassis right all those costs you know on one hand 
people can argue, well, they've had a decade of this current car, so the cost should be minimized. But you're investing what would have been cost for a new car into better engineering and more right. testing and that sort of thing. And what are the, a lot of these teams doing with their supplemental income? I mean, we, we can all agree that income has increased in the IndyCar series. They're having more full-time entries, right? So this is where a lot of these teams are putting their money is adding more cars. And isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what we wanted? So, um, you know, sponsorship is very reactionary because everybody's saying, oh, you know, look at all these, uh, these, these, uh, races on network. How could they not sell that? Sponsors are very come to us after you've proven something. So the return for this year's schedule and the amount of races on NBC is going to come next year. Right. It's not, hey, look at us. We're going to be on NBC 13 times this year, however many it is. You should sponsor. Now, sponsorships happen after the fact. And so, um, you know, as these teams get more and more on solid ground financially, and we're seeing that with a lot of them based on how many full time entries they're putting in, then you are going to increase the the income for these teams and they're going to be more uh, inclined to go with more races. But, you know, they have to pay their people and. They don't like it. That May, June, July stretch is hated by teams because it's so brutal all around. So the teams like these breaks, particularly earlier in the season when after a race, okay, we got a couple weeks, weekends to, to debrief and figure things out and, and all that. If, if, if you hit the ground running with the season and, and while it's entertaining for us every other week or whatever, it's going to be very difficult for a team that got off to the wrong foot to catch up after that. And, and, you can't really say, oh, well, look at the cup drivers because those teams are a lot bigger, right? There's a lot bigger organizations. They have a traveling crew and then a crew that's just at the shop usually. Yes. And usually, you know, some of the bigger teams, they're ahead a week. So NASCAR raced at Coda last week. A lot of those teams already have either on site or en route team members to the next race. So, you know, it's, it's apples and oranges trying to compare the two. And, and like, I, I get the frustrations, but I just don't feel like it's that big of a deal. Hunter J. Smith 03 says, why haven't the rumors for any car to Pikes Peak International Raceway not started yet? <laughs> hey, man, it's, uh, you I know, you. if they buy the track and rebuild the grandstands and put in safer barriers and probably repave the track. Yeah, just a couple thousand dollars worth of upgrades yeah. and you're there. And I, I was mean, out. I was out in the Powell Pikes Peak area last year. Uh, I I remember seeing exit signs for Pikes Peak Raceway. So I've driven by it. I've flown over it. Yes, it needs a lot of work. I, I mean, does. by it's a lot, still I mean there a hundred million plus. Yes, but you know, in a couple years, you're going to see it on Lost Raceways. That's how far gone it is. All right, a few replies to uh, another bit of IndyCar drama on Twitter. And you said, if it's not JJ related, then <laughs> I'm not interested. Largely true. Uh, Tyler underscore Allen. Uh-oh, did I miss something? No, not really. Jeremy from HPG. I must be out of the loop. Hooray. Correct. Well, and, it's just, you know, some people just get like to get in spats on, on the Twitter. Oh, yeah. And it's entertaining. Politshevchenko says, if it weren't for the internet beef, we would starve while waiting for the next race. <laughs> you need something. True. We, we got to have some talking point. With all of this, and I think that's one of those things. Uh, the Roth just replied with a picture of the Carvana Tower outside Indianapolis near the 465 <sighs> I-69 uh, exit. 
of uh, getting Pressing. torn down. I was uh, I had to go down to Indianapolis last weekend. There was uh, traffic right there at the interchange, so I was at a slow speed. Was able to get a photo, sent it to you, sir, Caleb, of the Carvana Tower surrounded by construction equipment or uh, demolition equipment. I think it's now this week actually coming down. But um, this from Photo Mate, he actually sent us a news article from WRTV, which is the ABC affiliate in Indianapolis. So it's being cleared for construction of a new I-465 interchange there, which if you've ever driven in that area, it is a mess absolute of an mess. exit system. Uh, it absolutely is. And, and when I hit it on Saturday about noon, it was backed up due to construction plus a wreck on the ramp. It was chaos. And that's the, more the, the norm than, than the exception. So the Carvana Tower, which is no longer, it was seven stories. And it was built a little more than three years ago. I feel like such an iconic structure in Indianapolis should have been saved. Carvana uh, did not comment when reached out to by WRTV if they plan to relocate the tower. I mean, one in the infield of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway just makes all sorts of sense. (laughs) Maybe that could be their next thing. Yes. Or you buy your car at IMS from the Carvana Tower. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool, actually. I still haven't seen how that works, but uh, I'm fascinated by it. You posted a poll. How many races in the United States will be on the F1 2027 calendar? 49% said three plus, 25% said two, 13% one, 13% zero. I voted one. And that's fascinating because I voted two. You Now, if you had to say which one is around, are you saying CODA? Yes. In 2027? Really? I get um, that Miami is privately financed, but it just seems like one of those events that will last for two or three years and disappear. If if I had to rank them, I would say Coda with the most staying power, and I would put Vegas second. Yes. Vegas, there's a lot of public money at play and support from the casinos, casinos. and resorts and all that. And, and And again, it's great. I think this is exciting. A little weird that they're starting at 10 o'clock, what, Pacific time? Uh, 10 o'clock local, Eastern, isn't it? No, no, no. Oh, really? Yeah, Pacific time. But Saturday night, right? Instead yeah, Sunday. so 1 a.m. Eastern. So you oh. get the West Coast audience. Okay. And obviously a lot of people will just then be again, in Vegas for the race. If but you're in Vegas, it's Australians, practically midday anyway. Yeah. 1, 1 a.m. Uh, is... Australians will watch young F1 fans will watch at least the start. I'll, I'll probably like watch the start and go to bed or something. I'll probably tape it cause I'm old, but you know, this is kind of a similar situation where we're seeing where we talked about earlier. Caleb with NASCAR is in the heyday when the two thousands, everybody wanted to race, right? Everybody was going to this and, and ratings were through the roof and everybody. And so I think we're seeing that same thing with formula one. This thing goes ebbs and flows, right? So formula one is at a high right now. Everybody wants a Formula One race. We're seeing Miami. We're seeing Vegas. There's talk about Africa. You know, we're seeing the Middle East now with, what, four races. So um, things are are good for Formula One right now. But it's not going to stay that way, whether it's three years, five years, 10 years, 30 years. Who knows? The bubble will burst for Formula One. And not a lot, of, not all of these tracks will be around, whether it's five years, 10 years. So... Definitely feeding on the frenzy that is Formula One right now, but if we compare it to that NASCAR craze, eventually it ends. So 
which of these American events has staying power, considering only one of them has actually happened yet. It's very difficult to judge the other two, but I, I'm putting my money on CODA, which is insane to me because just you know a year, year and a half ago, we were talking about if CODA even had enough money to sustain having races going forward. Crazy, right? Amazing. I mean, we thought once Texas shut off their their funding, it was it was game over. But uh, credit to CODA, they've survived and are now thriving. Couple of replies on the poll. Run underscore mark underscore run. Only four tracks with grade one license, assuming Vegas and Miami get theirs. I don't think they'll ever make it back to Indy. Yeah, I, I don't think that's in the plans. No, I don't. But that's think, okay. And right now, like the, the sexy thing is the street courses, right? So Formula One wants to go to a place where, you know, it's running through the streets of places, whether it's Jeddah or, um, you know, Miami or, or Vegas. You know, that's kind of the sell right now for sure. So, you know, New York, we've they've thrown that around before, but they wanted to race in Jersey, which is you know, it, it's try it's pretty much like running in Reno instead of Vegas. Uh, <laughs> so you know, could that happen in New York? I said it would never happen in Vegas, and yet here we are. But man, good luck shutting down Manhattan for a weekend trying to race a race like that. Vegas has the advantage of if you get the casino and resort owners on board. Right. Then they can make it happen. Whereas New York, it's so much more red tape than that. Well, yeah. And it's already a destination, a party destination, right? It's not people just trying to get to and from their jobs like Manhattan is. Like Manhattan's cool and it's got, uh, it's got, you know, tourists and stuff, but it's largely where people work, sleep, eat. You know, it's, it's a community, right? Vegas is pretty much, you know, a vacation destination. So uh, that's the difference there. Same with Chicago and, and a great point with the red tape, like, you know, NASCAR talking about a street course in Chicago. I would be shocked if that ever happens. Just the amount of, of red tape you have to jump through this from Jordan underscore Wilman way too many talking about the number of races. Poet Shevchenko says 25 races in the sport will be renamed to Florida one <laughs> <laughs> man. What, what's, what's the cap on, on the amount of races that that formula one is going to add for a season. I mean, I saw 30 thrown out the other week, and That'd I'm like, insane. how are teams going to handle that? Money talks. That's right. And money but is when, good but at when the moment. F- when you're going around the world, we talk about IndyCar being able to get from one end of the country to the other, or NASCAR. This is around the world. Insane. But you know what? If you throw a big enough check at these 10 teams, they'll go anywhere. That is correct. Almost anywhere. Maybe not Saudi Arabia. <laughs> well, or Russia. Well, they're in Saudi Arabia now. Well, I know, but they didn't want to go. That's true. So, at least the drivers. That's, that is that is accurate. Okay, and then one more thing on the mailbag, and this courtesy of, let me see here, uh, Rock Vam D. AJ Foyt Racing should become FSR, sorry, SFR, so Stewart Foyt Racing, with Tony Stewart taking over. Within one season, they are competitive for wins. Also, Stewart becomes first IndyCar NASCAR driver owner champion in both forms of racing within three years. Thoughts? I feel like we continue to say it's an inevitability until Tony Stewart gets into the IndyCar series with his team. Yet here we are, he's 50 years old, and and I haven't heard anything recently, you know, a year or two, that anything like this would be 
close. He's selling his his house in Columbus. Saw that. It's got like an indoor creek and everything. It, it's essentially an, a, a, a house that happens to be like a Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's. Yeah, it does look like a Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like if it was important to Tony Stewart to partner with AJ Foyt Racing, he would do it while AJ Foyt is still alive. And Supertechs ain't getting any younger. So if that was a play, why wouldn't he do it now? As opposed to post-mortem once we lose AJ. I mean, maybe that happens, but I just think, you know, there's more excitement for Tony Stewart if he partners with AJ now. And we all know that AJ's team could use the help. The last time Tony dabbled in IndyCar, it was 2018 or 19 where they like a, partnered with an entry with, then it was Schmidt for the Indy 500. Yeah, it was a, Jay Howard, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And it was some sort of funding. One-off entry. Yeah, it wasn't anything insane or crazy. And I don't even think Stewart's name was anywhere on it or the team's. Uh, it was just some sort of financial thing. So... Yeah, I'm I'm surprised as um as um you know IndyCar has grown the last couple of years that we haven't heard more rumblings about that because I think we all agreed that Tony Stewart eventually would field a team in IndyCar, but uh, the fact that you know he's now 50 years old and and no signs, you know maybe once the new engine spec comes out potentially, but uh nothing as as far as right now, and I and I'm really surprised that he hasn't ventured more into a partnership with, with AJ Foyt. All right. That wraps up the mailbag for this week. Time for news and notes and a few things to get to starting off. Jack Harvey cleared to race for long beach. What do we think? Concussion? I would guess so. The accelerometers were too high on the readings to allow him to race essentially is what the release said. So Understand glad that. that he is back Yep, and healthy and obviously hope, Hope he can get a season in geared out. Yeah, let's hope he's, he's somebody that could really use a boost, uh, you know, subpar first race, and then, you know, not be able to race at all at Texas. Taking a look at testing, we mentioned there are some teams testing on the IMS road course that's now been pushed to Friday as we record this Thursday afternoon. Aaron McLaren SP is now pulled out, according to Nathan Brown. So it'll be all four Andretti cars, the two cars from Meyer Shank, and the one car from Hunko's Hollinger Racing. So what went from being a 20-car test is down to seven. A lot of those teams opting to test next week, I think, maybe elsewhere, potentially at Barber. So we'll see, but look for more testing next week. Did they give a reason on why people were bailing? Is it temperature? I think it's just weather and logistics. Yeah, changed their schedules up. Yeah, understandable. Speaking of IMS, Gate 2, they have unveiled the LEO banner for... Uh, Winning, kind of the, the photo of holding up the four. So that's cool. They did that earlier this week in the cold. Also, keeping it with um, IMS in the road course race, Renus VK will have a different sponsor uh, for the NDGP on May 14th. It'll be the building tomorrow. And it's empowering local leaders in Uganda to address the country's education crisis by connecting youth with at-home learning. That's kind of their description. So an interesting new partner for Ed Carpenter Racing for Renus VK's entry. Uh, pretty cool partnership there. Also, USAC is back for the BC 39, August 3rd and 4th at the dirt track at IMS. Tickets are on sale now. Good to see that event return. 
couple of sponsor news for drivers. Scott McLaughlin will have Snap-on Tools as a sponsor at Long Beach. Cool-looking car. And I didn't notice this. I, I forget who pointed it out. I think it was Nathan Brown. But on one side, you have the black fading to red. And on the other side pod, you have the red fading to black. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And then Graham Rahal's car unveiled for the Bomberito 500 at Gateway. iPacket will be the sponsor. What is iPacket? It's a great question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I am efforting to see <laughs> what iPacket but, is. But uh, RLL continues their, uh, their great ability to maximize the amount of primary sponsors they can get on a car in a single season iPacket is a leading provider of digital vehicle presentation and delivery solutions for the automotive industry. Of course. The company's cloud-based solutions help automotive dealers provide shoppers with a transparent digital vehicle purchasing experience. So there you go. I don't know what that means. I don't either, but something <laughs> about online car shopping. Sure. Pretty Sums much like up. Salesforce. I'm really not sure what Salesforce does, but <laughs> people that do know, no. For sure. Okay, this uh, from Racer.com, Marshall Pruitt. Charlie Kimball, who was at Texas, not racing. He was actually on the pit stand, and Marshall Pruitt has a, a good write-up on Charlie's experience with Ed Carpenter Racing uh, a couple weekends ago for the XBEL 375 at TMS. He was essentially the co-race strategist for Ed Carpenter because their main guy had a, a conflict, and then they brought in Derek Walker to kind of assist and provide kind of backup experience. Walker has worked with ECR in the past. So they had co-strategists and Kimball is not sure if he'll be back with Carpenter or possibly working with another IndyCar team in the coming rounds. Uh, he actually got a call from another team about fulfilling strategy and timing staying for them the rest of the year. He's evaluating it. He does say though, that's all secondary to him getting in a seat. If he gets a ride that takes priority. And don't forget. He's also doing Indy lights TV work. Uh, for Peacock. I really could see Charlie Kimball as his uh, driving career um, comes to a close, whenever that is, get more into the team aspect. I don't know if he's a team owner necessarily. I could see him maybe starting a grassroots kind of team, kind of like we've seen with Jay Howard, driver development and the road to Indy. I think Charlie Kimball would be absolutely phenomenal in that. Yeah, I think that'd be a, a good fit and hopefully he can find a ride for the Indy 500 though. It seems that no one can find a ride. No one. Somebody's going to get magical number 33, but who knows who it is going to be at this point. We assume it's Simona. It's just a matter right. of how that team it comes together and who they partner with. Well, it was interesting because, um, you know, Marshall Pruitt kind of went into these details in, uh, in his mailbag with, uh, I think it was a question asking about these teams and just how stingy they are with their equipment instead of loaning it out, talking about the full-time teams. And Marshall said, yeah, you know, I, I hear it from from perspective entries how they can't get this that or the other and and marshall said you know in the end these full-time teams own their equipment and these perspective one-offs don't own the equipment so how would their effort be helped by buying their own equipment so you know in the end you know at face value you say well the villains are full-time you know the full-time teams but these part-time entries you need to understand, like if you're going to jump into this thing, you need to jump in it financially. And that includes dropping some serious coin on at least a chassis. And also the expansion of full-time entries. That's why it's harder to get the one-offs. Absolutely. But we also don't have as far to go to get to 33 as well. You mentioned the Indy 500 and entries. So Dry and Reinbold 
unlikely to expand its IndyCar schedule beyond the Indy 500, at least for this year due to rallycross commitments, that from Motorsport. It's our annual Dry and Ryan Bolt yes. story. We'll probably have one post 500 as well. So no we got to remember what I just read there because we were told and, and read this. And then after the 500, if they have a good result, we'll probably read the opposite. Yeah. We, uh, we're going to add a couple races and we'll try to get to full-time status 2023. It's the same stuff with Giant Ryan Bowl. It's just, it's good to have them around in May, but I'm not holding my breath to see him anywhere else anytime soon. All right. Some notes from Marshall Pruitt's racer.com mailbag on Homestead. Marshall says, I'd heard there might've been some interference being run by some folks. You like Homestead being a stock car track. Haven't heard anything lately to suggest it will be back on the schedule, but love to go back. Interesting update there. Well, he didn't name the people. I wouldn't say it's track Homestead track owners, but maybe NASCAR leadership. NASCAR leadership. Yeah. In regards to Milwaukee. Now, earlier in the mailbag, he joked that he's the one who threw the rumor about Milwaukee out there at Texas. I will say this. We'd read that before that race weekend. Agreed, yes. That it was out there. So yes. that was a joke in jest from the way I interpreted it. But then more seriously, later on in the mailbag, he says, for me, they've come from people talking about the rumors of Milwaukee. I know in the paddock, stopping me and telling me they've heard Milwaukee's under consideration for a return. And I take stock of all who I'm hearing it from and assess whether they're quality sources or jokers. And in this instance... The folks I heard it from were quality voices. Doesn't mean it's accurate or happening, but it wasn't something to immediately rule out. And then he goes on to mention what we said last week about Mark Miles and um, do they plan to add any new oval onto the calendar next year? And Miles didn't say yes or no, which Marshall said, not uncommon. Yeah, you want to keep your options open. I mean, it's still only, you know, late March uh, of 2022. You don't want to you know, give anything away for 2023. But, uh, you know, we'll see. All I can say is if Milwaukee does come back, if I see a single empty seat at that race, I'm blaming all of you people out there because everybody's clamoring for Milwaukee to come back. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And then everybody has an excuse on why they don't go to ovals. If I see a single empty seat, I'm going to have a lot of beef with some people. I'm going to blame you for not going. <laughs> that was my seat. I just didn't show. Yeah. It's going to be your fault if you don't go. Okay. Uh, in regards to Toronto pit lane, Marshall says any car tells me they can accommodate 24 to 25 cars right now. They're working on space for more. It would need 26, maybe 27. Say if there's a one-off for Hinchcliffe, they're going to double decker pit lane or pit stop pit boxes. So you'll go up a ramp and you'll be above the car underneath. So you can, uh, you know, two in one spot. Why are you rolling your eyes at me? <laughs> or they could do the F1 style where yeah, double the team stack. does a yeah, double stack stop. I mean, ideally, you know, technically you only need one pit box and then make every team come and rotate in. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. It would be not like work. a Chinese fire drill. Everybody running around and trying to get their position in line. Yeah. Chaos. All right. We talked about international races earlier. Now it's time for our other favorite topic, third, third OEM. OEM. Excellent. So here we go. And here's just a, a classic little tidbit that just whets our appetite when we need it. Gets us all excited. Yep. There's no real substance. Uh, and yet we <laughs> continue to be duped time and time again. Here we are. Marshall says, I did hear an interesting item related to the third engine supplier in a call last week, but I haven't had the time to chase it and see where it leads. If it has merit, you'll know I'll share it in a racer.com story ASAP. 
and I'm sorry, Marshall, but if you hear any, this takes top priority or whatever else you're doing. Do you understand the importance of third OEM discussion? Not even just landing one, but the discussions of a third OEM. Paramount, the fans of this series, you should drop everything and go chase that. So in regards to the third OEM, so IndyCar Deep Throat, forgot to mention this the other week, but Audi, which would be a great addition for the series, um, Audi have submitted their official proposal the FIA a few weeks back um, talk uh, from longtime F1 source interested in expanding the role in, into open wheel in particular with teams that are open to a shared ownership deal source believes that IndyCar could potentially be a fit in the future but F1 would take priority first correct in F1 funny you mentioned that oh this is from Adam Stern Audi will offer around 556.3 million for McLaren one source said which we've heard this before uh, Porsche intends to establish a long-term partnership with racing team Red Bull starting in several years time that oh. an article from Reuters. So, if, and then to add more to that, okay. it's from Globe and Mail Volkswagen to give its green light for Audi Porsche to enter F1 that came earlier. So same story, essentially different sources. So if Audi based on that would buy McLaren, is that what is being proposed or alleged would buy McLaren? They would be the kind of the primary owner. Primary owner. Uh, that would then be the natural bridge to IndyCar if Audi was in Formula One with McLaren and McLaren's also in IndyCar. Long-term partnership. Yes. So 500 million euros for McLaren for Audi. Porsche wants a, so they'd be partners. Porsche wants a long-term partnership with Red Bull. And I think, you know, despite what uh, Zach Brown says, I think long-term financial stability is of paramount importance to McLaren, most definitely. New power unit in F1 coming in 2026, so I would think that would be the prime time to make that transition if the deal we is agreed wait upon. can't until 2026 to get a third OEM in here? Well, this could potentially be the fourth for IndyCar. Uh, it could be the seventh by that time. <laughs> if only we were that lucky. <laughs> I not sustainable would be seven. So all of that, that's the latest on a third OEM on the rumor mill and, and where things stand. And a couple other notes, uh, firebird international raceway, which is down in his wild horse pass motorsports park. NHRA races there. Now it's where Ayrton Senna did the Penske test. I'll be demolished in 2024. And speaking of, uh, former IndyCar tracks, Cleveland uh, Burke Lakefront Airport. A city, a city officials there discussing closing the airport. It's downtown, great location near the uh, what is it, First Energy Stadium or whatever right, for the Browns that could now. Be prime and real estate, rock and roll Hall of Fame yeah, building to develop. Very and, prime real estate. And, and let's be honest, if if Cleveland would let's say hypothetically the airport goes away and Cleveland with private and public investments builds that up into an entertainment district or whatever that to me is a bigger sell for a cleveland street race for indycar than going back to the the airport and to me that would be more exciting i will say though the airport with the location does make it an exception to you know you look at other races and when indycar's in these combination airport street circuit races and, right. and cleveland be all airport obviously and it, and it was in the past when they used it. Edmonton, that was all airport, though. True. St. Pete is a combination. 
trying to think of any others they've tried in the past that are similar to that. Yeah. That's, that's all I can think of at the moment. I just think in terms of sell, like if tomorrow Cleveland came out and said, we're having a race, IndyCar said we're having a race, what's the more exciting, returning to the airport or a street race in Cleveland? To IndyCar fans, it's the airport. Oh, the airport, but, but, to but I'm saying in terms of the casual general, fans, general yeah, public. What's going to draw more fans? And street it's race. definitely the street race. So For sure. I'm saying maybe in terms of long-term return to Cleveland, if the Burke Lakefront Airport goes away, maybe that's advantage IndyCar down the line. Maybe. I don't know. We shall see. Anything else that we missed? I don't think so. You know, for an off week, there was a fair amount of stuff to talk about. All right. Time for Tweets of the Week. Both of these from Tony DeZeno. First one. So other than the geopolitics and the track angles, pace and exposed barriers, this race is a lot going for it. I'm talking about <laughs> F1 at Jeddah. Oh, and then, man, that was a... That was an adventure last weekend. And then the second one, speaking of Burke Lakefront Airport, uh, Tony says, if F1 wants to race in front of a waterfront on a temporary circuit, it should go to Cleveland and revive Burke Lakefront Airport. (laughs) Very, very big sell. Who knows? There's three American races now. That could be the fourth. It's not going to stop, folks. They're, They're vying for seven. I mean, just when I said, you know, yeah, <laughs> they want to be the next, what, Dick Simon Motorsports of racetracks yes, absolutely. in one country. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Time for your random split era driver of the week. All right. Random split era driver of the week. We're going back to the, the OG, the original season of the IRL 1996. And we're going to go to Butch Brickle with Brickle Racing. Who? Like you, you, this is not real. This is real. Butch Brickle. So Brickle Racing uh, was in the uh, Lola Menard car and it was Butch Brickle and Tice Carlson. I do know Tice Carlson. I have his autograph. Tice Carlson was in the uh, final race that year. Butch Brickle ran just one race. He was an American racing driver and stuntman from Miami, Florida. Uh, his racing career participated in the 24-hour of Daytona, 12 hours of Sebring, uh, was uh, in several um, other sports cars events. Uh, 96, he attempted to make his move into the new Indy Racing League, but fractured his neck in practice prior to the first race at the 96 Indy 200. So that's why he was one and done. He attempted to recover from his injuries, but was not clear to drive at either Phoenix or the Indianapolis 500, and then Brickle paced put Tice Carlson in his car for the 500 there. And uh, Carlson's speed was the slowest accepted qualifying attempts. Attempt. He was the first car bumped from the field. Brickle eventually did recover, and he returned to sports car racing where he was active until the early 2000s. Fascinating that he's a stunt driver, but um, got injured in auto racing. But only one race, and it was his own team, um, he got his start performing Hollywood stunts in 1993. Uh, he later worked in such notable films as Too Fast, Too Furious, True Lies, and Bad Boys. And um, Brian Bick or Butch Bickle passed away 2003 at the age of 46 from an undisclosed illness. And not the first stunt driver in IndyCar no. because you have to remember Staten Barrett uh, was a stunt driver as well. Yeah, which is you know kind of natural. Team 3G Motorsports or whatever. Yeah. Right, so uh, when I look at, uh, at, I try to look up Brickle Racing, takes me right to Butch Brickle, so he was a guy that that did um, sports car racing, and 
tried to get into uh, the IRL and uh, fractured his neck in practice, which I don't remember hearing about. Um, and what track was this at again? At Disney World. That's a first race. serious injury. Yeah, so fractured neck in practice prior to the first race uh, was not able to recover to a race at either Phoenix or the 500. Of course, that uh, season three races riveting. Uh, you know, if there was three races, and and we would we would have to talk about the point standings if there were three races. At point. If this was 1996, folks, we're two thirds of the way through the season. So you wind about 17 races. It could be three, but. Uh, yeah, so he was not able to come back. Tice Carlson was put into the car and uh, was the first car bumped from the field. He eventually did return and return. He returned to sports car racing active until the early 2000s and passed away in 2003 at the age of 46. Butch Brickle, stuntman and racing driver from Miami, Florida, this week's random split era driver of the week. All right. Once again, learning about drivers that I've never heard of. Uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating st- storylines though. Yes, absolutely. You, you learn a lot about these, these folks for sure. All right. Well, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. That wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week and it'll once again be race week. So we get set for the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach for what is it? The 46th, 47th yeah. nearing that magical 50 here in a couple years. So it'll be race week once again on the streets of Long Beach next week. We'll do a preview of the race and talk about all the IndyCar storylines. That is next week on New Track Record Podcast. Podcast by Federated Media.